0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12 month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary, discounts not available in all states and situations.
2: I found out um, in the locker room after the game uh, against the Cowboys that we made the playoffs. Um, You just told me that we won the division. The, The main thing that is so terribly difficult for NFL teams to do is down the stretch of the season, narrow your focus to the opponent and nothing else. I know you guys got a little sensitive about tell guys to F off. That wasn't the spirit of it. The spirit of it is occupying your mind with things that are outside what you can control. The ultimate outcome of the game will determine whatever, but every time you're spending doing this, you're not doing that. Mike McDaniel,
0: Dolphins head coach, getting his team ready for the latest installment of the game of the year. It seems like every week there's a game of the year, but now that the Ravens have beaten the 49ers and the Ravens are coming home and the Dolphins are coming to town and the Dolphins have kind of, kind of defied the narrative that they can't beat good teams. Although one of the narratives had to give on Sunday, it was either the Cowboys can't beat good teams on the road narrative or the Dolphins can't beat good teams anywhere narrative. The Dolphins stopped that at least for a week. Now they have to go to Baltimore, where the Lions got destroyed, where the Seahawks got destroyed, and try to beat the Ravens. Number one scoring offense versus number one scoring defense could be a great game. And it's tucked within, Peter, 10 games at 1 o'clock Eastern on Sunday. The good news is 70% of the country will be getting Dolphins-Ravens.
3: I mean, one of the things that I love about this game is that It will be played in daylight. It will be played in a window that too often the networks have, not the networks really, but the NFL hasn't quite disregarded, but it's taken a little bit too lightly. And Mike, I think what is interesting about Miami and Baltimore being at one o'clock is that the NFL reached out to the Ravens a, a few weeks ago and, and just said, Hey, just, just curious what your sentiment would be about flexing to the night game uh, in, uh, in week 17 when clearly you would be coming back from a Monday night game 3,000 miles away. And I think there was some sentiment on the NFL's part that the Ravens had taken one of the, even though the Baltimore-San Francisco Christmas night game was great. There's a little bit of a hardship because clearly you're away from your family on the entirety of Christmas Eve. You're away from your family in the entirety of Christmas. And then you get home at seven thirty in the morning on the Tuesday after Christmas and you gotta get ready to play a very big game on very little sleep you know, the following week. And look, wah, 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 everything is hard in the NFL, I get it. But I think the NFL wanted to see if the Ravens, you know, how they would feel about playing on Sunday night instead of Sunday day. And the answer came back from the Ravens that absolutely categorically they did not want the game moved. And that doesn't mean that the NFL wouldn't have moved it if the NFL thought that this was the best thing for the schedule. But. I'm also reminded, Mike, in all those years, I have sat in and looked at the making of the schedule. It's one of those little football nerdy things that I get a kick out of every spring. Why is this game here? Why is that game here? And one of the things that has been drummed into me is that the NFL will move a dog game out of a Sunday night game. But the NFL won't move a meh game very often anyway out of Sunday night. And I think in this particular case, Packers-Vikings, great rivalry. Packers have a great national following. Everybody who has any interest in the Packers wants to watch Jordan Love and his development. And the fact is they're both still alive for the playoffs And so it's not a dog game. It's not the best game of the weekend, obviously, but it's not a dog game. And so the NFL basically said, okay, Baltimore, we're going to keep you at 1 o'clock. And I think the other part of that that is really good is that we've forgotten often, Mike, when the no-doubt-absolute-incredible game of the weekend is kicked off at 1 o'clock, whether it be sunny, cloudy, whatever it is, but in broad daylight you know, in in Baltimore. And uh, I, just, I found it interesting that the Ravens basically said, we, we, don't, we don't want the Sunday night game. We want this game right where it is. The other interesting wrinkle, though, Barry Jackson, the Miami
0: Herald, had an item about this earlier in the week. Why not move it to 425 Eastern? But apparently there's a belief that the Chiefs are more interesting as a team that has lost its way than they are as a team that pummels everyone. And even though Joe Burrow's long gone, because when the schedule came out, this was, hey, whoa, whoa, Chiefs-Bengals, whoa, New Year's Eve, are you kidding me? 425 p.m. Eastern, Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, we'll take that, absolutely. There's still a lot of intrigue with that game because of where the Chiefs have ended up in recent weeks. I mean, you look at what that game did. It was the highest-rated game of Christmas Day. The first one out of the gates, Raiders Chiefs. People are fascinated by the Chiefs. you got the Taylor Swift angle. So that's another reason why it stays at 1 o'clock because 425 would have made sense. But Bengals Chiefs may do even better than Dolphins Ravens would have done in that spot. But still, great game. Hopefully, Dolphins would win the AFC East if they win the game. And if they lose and the Bills beat the Patriots, the Bills are 13-point favorites at home last time I checked against New England. Dolphins lose, Bills win next week. Bills at Dolphins is for the AFC East. It's amazing to think for as high as the Dolphins are flying right now, it can still be wild card for the Miami Dolphins when it's all said and done. And it would be six seed maybe because the Browns are locked in as number five. It would be six or seven
3: for the Dolphins depending upon how everything else works out. I think the one other thing to realize, Mike, is that, look, as much as everybody says, even after seeing <clears throat> what's happened in the last few weeks we have to look at the reality of where each team is excuse me we have to look at the reality where each team is and right now the Cincinnati Bengals even though they uh, did not play well on either side of the ball against Pittsburgh you're coming off three games in a row where they scored with Jake Browning 34 34 and 27 so The Bengals, at least my impression of the Bengals right now is first of all, Trey Hendrickson is having a fabulous year and he's always hard to block and he's made big impacts in the Kansas City-Cincinnati rivalry in the last couple of years. There's the fact that Kansas City's had trouble protecting Patrick Mahomes and Cincinnati could take advantage of it. And I think the other thing is that right now, as I look at it, Mike, I'm not sure which offense is going to play better on Sunday. And as crazy as it sounds, the Jake Browning-led offense might play better than the Patrick Mahomes-led offense.
0: In Dolphins-Ravens, Jalen Waddell not available for Miami due to a high ankle sprain. Tyreek Hill didn't practice Wednesday, limited on Thursday chances are they're just trying to keep him healthy because he was able to play nine catches for 99 yards against the Cowboys. He's still got an outside shot at 2,000 yards. He's going to have to go off each of the last two weeks. I think he needs to average like 170, 175 yards each of the last two games. Not impossible for him, but to put together back-to-back weeks when you've got that ankle issue, not something you'd want to expect to happen. But still a special season for him. Tua Tonga-Vailoa last year helped the Dolphins to a a thrilling win. They outscored the the Ravens 28-3 in the fourth quarter of a Week 2 win over Baltimore. So there's a little bit of a history there, although early weeks of 2022 and latter weeks of 2023 may as well be five years apart. Still, there's something there, and there's a lot on the line. Very impactful game. One seed in play if the Ravens win. AFC East Championship for the Dolphins if they win. And 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 like we said earlier with MVP, the Lamar Jackson presumption goes out the window if the Dolphins go in there and beat
3: the Ravens on Sunday. And I think, Mike, the one interesting thing about this game from a competitive standpoint is that I think in recent weeks, we've seen Miami it's always true in the NFL. I think the last time I th- I saw that it wasn't true is that you you look at really the great teams and the transcendent offenses or defenses and eventually they come back down to earth and again probably the the one in very recent history even though it's 22 years old is the greatest show on turf. That 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 offense had a three or four year run of incredible play. But you look at the Dolphins and they've and again, I don't I almost don't count the Jets games. It's, it's kind of silly, but you know, they had the game where they really struggled against Tennessee and Tennessee came back and beat them. And you had the game against Dallas where they played well, but it was an absolute grinded out affair. And I think if I am Mike McDaniel, I want my offense... One of the things I would really like to see against Baltimore is I want my offense to go up and down the field two or three times in this game. You're not going to do it every game, okay? But I think to, to prove to your own team that you can dominate against the best the NFL has to offer... I would like to see my offense, even without Jalen Waddell, I think they have enough weapons. I mean, most underrated great player this year, I think, has been Raheem Mostert with, you know, it's totally out of control. The guy's got 21 touchdowns, and no one really talks about him all that much. Imagine, a 1,000-yard rusher with 21 touchdowns, and when you talk about the great players on his team... You always talk about Tua Tyreek and, you know, whoever else. But we need to talk about Raheem Mostert. And he's going to need to have an impact on this game in downtown Baltimore on Sunday. On Saturday
0: night, Jimmy Johnson enters the Ring of Fame, Ring of Honor, whatever they call it in Dallas. Finally, long overdue, as part of the Lions at Cowboys game. Cowboys have won 15 in a row at home here's dan campbell coach of the lions on this being a measuring stick game for the nfc north champions
2: it it couldn't have you couldn't write a better script um for what you just said it gives you a real good idea of where you're at because this is one of the top teams in the nfc uh it just is so and we're out at their place you know where they play their best football uh their backs against the walls you're going to get their very best shot um Coach McCarthy's done a heck of a job with that team, so um, I, I think it's perfect. You know, I, I really do, and and do, it is. We'll find out exactly what it is, and then we'll we'll move on from there. You know.
0: You know, Dan Campbell looks like he's always got a rub in. Maybe he always does. But it's just it's amazing how many coaches in the NFL constantly have that. As Walt Garrison once said, "the pinch between your cheek and gum." The skull or whatever it is that they have. Yeah. Anyway, that's completely irrelevant. I just noticed it in the way he was talking. The Lions have a little rub in this year. I mean, they are better than they've been. They they had a window there where it felt like they could make a run at being the one seed in the NFC. They fell down a little bit. The defense has been suspect. I mean, they had four interceptions of Nick Mullins and still won in Minnesota by only six points, and the game was there for the taking by the Vikings. Look, I don't know where the Cowboys get their motivation because the chances of winning the division are slim. They're probably going to be the five seed no matter what. But they really do need to reestablish themselves. Chris and I were talking about this yesterday. They need to reestablish what they are and who they are after losing at Buffalo and at Miami, getting blown out and then losing late. They need to come home and they need to remind themselves and everyone else that they still are a pretty good football team. So I think this is a tough spot for the Lions. If this is a measuring stick, they might not be ready to
3: measure up. On the other hand, Mike, if you look at, this is the way I look at this game. Cowboys, as usual, how many weeks on this show on Friday have we said one of the following phrases? Man, this is a big week for the Cowboys. They got to prove they belong with the big boys. Or, man, I'll tell you, this is a big week for Dak. He's got to do this. Look, the Dallas Cowboys, we knew that in order to, threatened to be the number one seed or to take their place among the NFC elite, they had to come into this big stretch, Philly, at Buffalo, at Miami, and then Detroit at home. Mike, if they beat Detroit, in essence, what I'm going to think is, okay, the Cowboys held serve. You know, two. If, if you had said at the beginning of that four-and-four four stretch, what's the what's the, the, the what's the least best thing that can happen well they got at least go two and two so this game is really big for dallas because even for their own psyche they've come off two games in a row where they've scored 30 points total in two road venues against two good teams so that's what i take it from their perspective for detroit though What I think is so interesting about the Lions, and this is going to sound insane, but I want you to tell me, Mike, top to bottom, what team in the NFL has better offensive weapons than the Detroit Lions? You combine their backfield and their receiving core. What team is deeper with really good players, who any of whom, can win a game from you know Jameer Gibbs to Amon Ra to 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 all of these guys to Khalif Raymond, who is a very poor man's Tyreek Hill, you know, and 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 every week you see a different guy on the Lions play well in you know the the receiving game and in the running game, and Mike. You know, the one other thing I would just say about the Lions is that, you know, hats off to Brad Holmes. I mean, this is a guy who is drafted great, not well, but great. And when you look at some of the young players, some of the good young players, who the Lions are going to grow old with, and and I think probably I I start with Amon Ross Saint Brown, who. You know, the 16th wide receiver picked in the draft in 21. And the night of the draft, he was so upset, so angry, that he went out with the jugs machine and caught over 200 passes in his garage. And because he said, okay, my proving time starts now. Three years, 300 catches later, whatever he is, he's either verging on 300 or at 300. 300 catches in his first three years in the NFL. And that's just a start. Look at all of the great young players that they had. Jamison Williams, Jameer Gibbs, and all these guys. The Lions are going to be good for a while, Mike.
0: And to answer your question, the Dolphins, I think... Are up there. The Rams surprisingly are up there when you look at what Puka Nakua, the twentieth receiver taken this year, has done for them with Cooper Cup and Kyron Williams, a fifth rounder last year, what they've put yep. together. But there aren't many that you look at top to bottom that have the kind of of quality that the Lions currently have. The one thing with them though, and I think this is going to come into focus in the postseason when they hit their ceiling. Because I think they'll hit their ceiling, all due respect. Somebody's got to lose in the playoffs. Every game they play, somebody's going to lose. They're going to hit their ceiling at some point between wild card round and Super Bowl. And once they do, you're going to hear discontent from Lions fans about Jared Goff. And there's going to be talk about upgrading. Because Goff, in my opinion, is in that cut of quarterbacks that can take you to a certain level, but no farther. And that's the missing piece to get the most out of all these other players you're talking about. And that will come to fruition, or it won't. It's up to him. But based on what we've seen in the past, the tendencies, the trends, the history tells us, at some point, he's going to get them to a level they haven't been at in a long time. But
3: to get beyond that, that's where they're going to have to upgrade. Maybe. I don't I don't necessarily think so. The reason I don't think so, and I mean he's had some clunker games. There's no doubt about it. And I think over the years, you know, we've seen, Mike, there's a lot of teams – that can win with a lot of different quarterbacks. And, you know, I said earlier this year that, you know, if the, um, if the form holds this year, and it's possible that the 49ers win the Super Bowl, if the 49ers were to win the Super Bowl this year, it would mean that six of the last 11 Super Bowls are won by quarterbacks who were the 75th pick in the draft, Russell Wilson, 199th pick in the draft, Tom Brady, and 262nd pick in the draft in Brock Purdy, if indeed it happens. But I kind of rail a little bit against the grass is greener philosophy on the quarterback position. And Mike, you're right. A month from now, we may have a far different view, and I may be singing a far different tune about Jared Goff. But as of right now, I don't look at Jared Goff and the quarterback position as something the Detroit Lions will feel any urgency to address in the offseason.
0: You're gonna have to make a big throw in a big spot on third and long. You know, all these defenses want to get the Lions to third and long because they want the offense to be in his hands because they know on first and second down they're grasping at air as Jameer Gibbs runs by them. All right, let's take a break. We'll look at some of the nfc games this weekend but we'll start with super bowl 40 rematch with a lot on the line for the steelers and the seahawks that's next here on pft live
1: around any corner within every battle and with the dawn of each new day the threat of the unexpected the unpredictable and the unrelenting lies in wait but marines will always be there they are the constant in the chaos Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. I want
2: to talk to you guys. Use this suit for college interviews, job interviews, proms. You know, you can even show up on your date with this. What was
3: your biggest motivation putting Craig's closets in all these high schools throughout the city of Pittsburgh? My dad.
1: You want to just try the jacket on and see if it fits? Well, my mom brought that idea to me, and she was like, you know your dad only had one suit throughout high school and college, and he would dress it up in different ways to make it look good. We wanted to find a way to let his memory and legacy extend. And what better way than, you know, giving a suit to a young man to make him feel good? I think sometimes we overlook the simple things in life. Just a kid feeling prepared for the moments in his life. Give a kid a chance, and that's all we're just trying to do
0: awesome stuff from cam hayward with peter king you can see the full interview on the nfl on nbc youtube channel and that's just a powerful thing in building and shaping the overall confidence of a young man to have that suit like richie in the bear says i feel like i'm wearing a suit of armor there's something about wearing a suit that just makes everything feel different
3: You know, Mike, one of the things in doing this story on Cam Hayward, and, you know, I have to give kudos to people at NBC, especially Matt Casey and Ron Vaccaro, uh, who were kind of my TV bosses at NBC. And I have to give them kudos because, in essence, they wanted a story for our Christmas show, our holiday show, Uh, which was Saturday the 23rd. There was a long pregame show, a long studio show. So they wanted a story that, you know, it's not necessarily, hey, go tell us a good news story, but find us a good news story. And I had known Cam Hayward over the years. I didn't know everything, but every year, the Steelers would nominate him for man of the year. It's happened six times now. He's never won, obviously. And so a couple of years ago, I started reading about the things that Cam Hayward had done. And Mike, this is the thing that impressed me so much about Cam Hayward. So his dad, Ironhead Hayward, who probably a lot of people have heard of, but if you haven't, Cam Hayward was a great college running back at Pitt. And he went on to the NFL, played for several teams, most notably New Orleans where he was a first-round pick, and uh, Atlanta, where he was a 267-pound running back slash fullback. And his dad died going into his senior year in high school in Atlanta. So Cam has devoted his life, in essence. I want to make my father proud of me. But what so impressed me is that he has taken on some of the causes, Mike, that are oftentimes forgotten who says I'm going to go into 11 high schools in Pittsburgh and any boy who wants a suit, I am going to find a way to give this kid a suit because many of the kids live in, you know, in in underserved neighborhoods. But then the other thing that he does that's so impressive that I saw is him working with young kids and grief counseling because he remembers what it was like to not have a dad. He remembers it being the faux father or the substitute father to his younger brother, Connor Hayward. Now they're together. Connor Hayward's a backup tight end on the Steelers. But no one really thinks about those causes when you think about what do we want to do with our foundation. This is a guy who took two needed causes, you know, clothing for, and nice clothing for boys in high school, and then on the other hand, grief counseling to help kids who've lost a parent. So kudos to Cam Hayward. Cam Hayward and the rest of the Steelers go all the way
0: to Seattle for a Super Bowl Forty rematch. High stakes for both teams. Steelers at 8-7, and but the last I saw, they have like a 13% chance of making it to the playoffs. Seahawks in much better position. Do the Steelers have enough gas in the tank to go out there and give the Seahawks a tough game and maybe pull off an upset as Seattle tries to get closer to getting back to the playoffs.
3: Well, Mike, if you had said this to me a week ago, I would have said absolutely not. But then Mason Rudolph turned into Ben Roethlisberger, and he put up 34 on the Bengals, and they routed the Bengals. And Mike Tomlin, obviously, you got to go with the hot hand because even before Kenny Pickett got hurt, Kenny Pickett was struggling. And they hadn't scored above 18 points in, I think, six weeks. So I think it's easy to look at this team right now and to say if Mason Rudolph can be what he was last week, they can compete with anybody because their defense – obviously is good enough if they're not always being put in bad positions. So if you tell me that Mason Rudolph is 90% the player he was last week, and if he can really find a way to keep George Pickens engaged, and he was early and often last week, the Steelers definitely have a chance, but they are going to need to score in Seattle because they hadn't been scoring until last week. And then George Pickens shook off everything. Hey, by the way, Mike, one thing I would say about Pickens is that, you know, people who will say things like, well, Pickens proved to his detractors that he's a great player and Pickens shut everybody up. This was never about George Pickens and how good a football player he was. This is about George Pickens Failing to give effort on play after play after play when he wasn't the intended receiver. And so that's, and look, you know, I'm not here to kill George Pickens or anything like that. But I'm here to say that if you want to be a great player in in the NFL and you're a wide receiver, you have to at least most of the time play the receiver position without the ball in your hands like Hines Ward. You just do. You better block and you better give effort for your teammates. And, you know, for much of this year, he hadn't been doing that. And Mm -hmm. last week, look, this great performance by George Pickens is still, uh, we're not addressing one of the key issues about George Pickens in that, you know, he's got to play full go Every snap he plays, whether he has the ball in his hands or not, and he hasn't done that so far, particularly this year, but in his career. Peter, there's a bust in the Hall of
0: Fame, and I suspect you voted yes when it was time for him to go in, who played when he wanted to play, took plays off when the ball wasn't coming to him. I saw him play as a rookie in Baltimore. When the play was coming to him, he sprinted out of the huddle. When it wasn't, he walked out of the huddle, and that was Randy Moss. And that is one big Comparison that sticks between Pickens and Moss. And I think any great receiver, the challenges, and John Madden used to talk about this with Moss. You got to get him involved early. They want the ball because they believe now, it's not a selfish thing per se. They believe if I'm the one with the ball, we're more likely to win. Because look at what I can do with the ball. And the Steelers finally figured it out. The Steelers finally realized let's get the ball in this guy's hands because if we don't he is going to check out just like Randy Moss used to do we got to get him involved why is he on the team if we're not going to use him so I disagree with you on this idea he's got to go all out all the time because Randy Moss is on the hall of fame and he definitely didn't let's just get the ball in the guy's hands and maybe he'll go all out a little more often if he feels like he's involved in the game plan so I I and that that so I've, that was vindication of this idea. When you have someone like that, you have got to get him the ball.
3: Well, there's something to be said for that. But if if George Pickens has 43 touchdowns in his first three years, as Randy Moss did, there's a decent chance I'll cut him a little more slack than I do right now. But as of now, he can't throw himself the ball, Peter. at the goal line. I would like to see. I would like to see. Uh, if Randy Moss walked away from blocking for one of his backs at the goal line, purposely walked away, and maybe, maybe he, he did. walked off the field show with time
0: that, left in the first half t- in a game in Washington, he got pissed off and walked off the field of the locker room with time left in the game for crying out loud. It's it's identical to the way Moss behaved. Identical.
3: It's not identical. Show me a play on the field at the goal line where Randy Moss on the goal line not only didn't block, but literally just jumped out of the way when one of his teammates was coming. And maybe he did it. I don't remember it, but maybe he did do that. All I'm saying, Mike, is I'm not impressed with the full-time job of Kenny Pickens. That's all I'm saying. Wouldn't, I, I, but- I wouldn't want Kenny Pickens on my team. I'll say this, if social media was around when Randy
0: Moss was playing, I bet we would have seen a lot of clips of Randy Moss half-assing it during games. It would have been isolated, distributed, and gone viral because he half-assed it during games. But those didn't make the highlights on ESPN, which was really our only way to see what had happened in a game at the time. All right, Rams at the Giants. We touched on this earlier. Matthew Stafford, and we've got to go fast now. We're having some good conversation, but that means we don't have a lot of time for the other stuff. Rams, Giants, Rams closing in on a playoff berth. Matthew Stafford, you mentioned the possibility of MVP. I think that's a high bar. I think comeback player of the year. You could sell me on that. MVP for an 8-7 and seven team, that's a little bit too much for me.
3: I don't know that. Wait, that's why. that's why I say, can we watch the next two games? If Matthew Stafford this week does what he should do, and beats the Giants in the Meadowlands, and then next week beats the 49ers, uh, and plays well in both games. He'll be one of the five people on my ballot.
0: Yeah, well, and look, that's entirely possible. What do you think about him as comeback player of the year, though? Because he was one of the ones, I think it went, DeMar Hamlin, then Joe Flacco, then Baker Mayfield, then maybe Matthew Stafford as potential comeback player there. He may have been farther down, but... That, that would be a potential a potential award for him, given what he's done this year
3: and given all the my, injuries my, last year and the ineffective play. My feeling about comeback player of the year is that I said this from the start, that if DeMar Hamlin pl- plays a snap in 2023, he's my comeback player of the year. Now, I haven't given it deep thought right now, but I'll be very surprised if I don't vote for Hamlin Number one, and Mike, I looked this up earlier in the week, Matthew Stafford had 303 pass attempts last year, and I understand he was hurt, but to me, this award, it can't be for a guy who played 60% of the games last year, at least to me. But I don't, look at a guy- We don't like know what that award's B- for. Like they don't Baker. tell us what that award's for. You're right. You could, yeah, If you wanted to vote for Matthew Stafford, I wouldn't say dumb vote. I, I, w- I would just say, well, I feel there ought to be different criteria. To me, Baker Mayfield, two teams gave up on him last year: the Carolina Panthers and then the Rams. The Rams could have signed him uh, a- as the backup and maybe even the future after uh, you know the what is a Super Bowl winning quarterback in Matthew Stafford, but they didn't. So he goes to a third team and he wins that probably wins the division. With Tampa this year, so I, I think that's a that's a, a a very good vote. And Flacco, obviously, it's a strange vote, but it's it's justified. And let's touch
0: on that Saints Bucks game since we're talking about Mayfield. Saints at seven and eight, Bucks at eight and seven. Bucks won earlier this year when the two teams played in New Orleans. You know, the Saints all along have struck me, Peter, as a team that's going to be just good enough to just barely miss the playoffs and it feels like this is the occasion for the door to close on the Saints and the door
3: to open for Baker Mayfield and the Bucks. You know, Mike, I I look at New Orleans and you know they're 2 and 4 in their last 6 games and I think you're absolutely right. Their two wins in the last 6 games have come against two of the worst teams in the league. Uh Carolina and the Giants. And when they have played good teams, they don't quite measure up. So to me, I think it'll be a year outside of the playoffs for New Orleans. But again, you know, if they stun some people, including me, uh, by winning against Tampa this week, then, you know, all bets are off the table. I just think right now Tampa's a little bit better than New Orleans.
0: And lastly, Sunday Night Football, Packers-Vikings, both teams 7 and 8. The loser's done. The winner's probably done, too. But Jaron Hall, the rookie from BYU, fifth rounder who got the first start after Kirk Cousins suffered the torn Achilles tendon. He sustained a concussion on the opening drive in Atlanta. He's now back replacing Nick Mullins, who had 400 passing yards but four interceptions and could have had more last week. It's a lot to ask for a rookie in prime time, especially with no T.J. Hawkinson. I think Jordan Addison probably out. If not out, it's going to be very questionable for him. A lot to process and digest for Jaron Hall to get his second start in a spot
3: where the Vikings desperately need a win. You know, to say to Jaron Hall, listen, this is a must win. It's Sunday night football against our arch rivals, the Green Bay Packers and your tight end security blanket and leading receiver on the air, probably are not playing, you know, at least the first one isn't. That is a really tough one. But if you're Kevin O'Connell, Mike, what do you do after watching the totally up and down games of Nick Mullins? I think he made the right call. And I don't think if the Vikings lose this game, I don't think you say, well, geez, you know, O'Connell picked the wrong quarterback. Because I don't think there's any way you can enter a game saying, man, hope we don't turn it over a lot today. At least the new guy gives you the benefit of at least not knowing whether that's going to repeat itself, but coming into the game feeling a lot better about your quarterback than if you played Mullins again. And here's the
0: reality. Next year, if they bring Kirk Cousins back, Jaron Hall likely to be number two. This gets him some live reps, gets him better suited for next year if you have to call upon him in a pinch, as they might have to do. Let's take a break. When we return, Russell Wilson benched in Denver. We'll get Peter's thoughts on that, plus the latest information about where that stands between the Broncos and their soon-to-be former franchise quarterback. More PFT Live right after this.
2: Yeah, it's it's a huge benefit. I mean, I haven't taken literally any one reps the entire year um, outside of a couple snaps in Detroit, you know, two weeks ago or whatever it was. So, you know, just getting a full
3: week under my belt, you know, with the ones and, um, you know, them getting used to me, me
2: getting used to them. um, You know, it's nothing but helpful the longer you can do it.
0: Jared Stidham, the new starting quarterback of the Broncos, getting the same assignment he got last year late in the season. There's some contractual reasons to put the starter in bubble wrap. So it's easier to separate from him after the year that happened with Derek Carr in Las Vegas happened with Russell Wilson in Denver. Stidham comes in the difference though, Peter, the Broncos are still alive. If they qualify for the playoffs, it's going to be thanks to Jared Stidham down the stretch, not Russell Wilson. That to me is the most surprising aspect of this.
3: Well, Mike, uh, You know, I was off when this happened, and I caught up most of yesterday on, you know, I read as much as I could about this, and I think I have just one sort of overriding thought about this. When Sean Payton was caught on camera at a critical point of the game, airing out Russell Wilson on the sidelines, and it never quite came out why it happened, and I don't know specifically why it happened but i'm going to tell you why i think it happened sean payton has certain rules for his quarterbacks and they can range from you know when to use the silent snap count to uh you know when to put guys in motion when to all these things he's got little rules and when a quarterback doesn't follow these rules I think he gets highly upset. Now, again, I don't know exactly why it happened, but that was not Sean Payton. At least my gut feeling when I saw it, my first thought was he's not yelling at him for overthrowing somebody or for for whatever. It, 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 he's yelling at him because he violated one of Sean Payton's, or, or several of them, it, it, real rules about playing the position of quarterback in this offense. And I think there have been things and and look, we can all say, oh my God, why are you benching Russell Wilson? You still have a prayer to make the playoffs. He gives you the best chance. Well, I'm not sure that Sean Payton right now, I don't think he would have made this decision, honestly, if he felt like there was such a huge drop off between Russell Wilson and Jarrett Stidham. And Russell Wilson, the last four weeks has engineered an offense uh, not against the 85 Bears, by the way, but he's engineered an offense that's put up 20 points a game. And I think Sean Payton looks at it, and he basically says, man, you know, I want somebody, at least right now, who's going to follow the rules that I set out and is going to give us a better chance to put more points on the board. And look, we'd all be naive to say that money thing wasn't a part of it. I totally get it. It is a part of it. You know, don't, let's, let's not be stupid. But I also think that Sean Payton thinks, and again, deep down, what does he really think? I don't know. But I think he believes the quarterback position can be played more efficiently. And for those who would say, well, you know, Russell Wilson is one of these guys who makes a lot of things happen out of the pocket and all that. Well, I get that. But if that was happening consistently, regularly, you know, more than 20 points a game, I would say, OK, then just let Russell Wilson invent some stuff and all that other stuff. But, Mike, and the one other thing I believe, I've heard a lot of people say, well, geez, what are they going to do about quarterback for 24? They're going to have to go out and pay to do this. No, they're not. They're going to pay this. They're going to, unless Jared Stidham absolutely stinks in the last two weeks, I believe the Broncos are will enter 2024 with Jarrett Stidham as their quarterback and see what happens. They'll bring somebody else in. And, everybody, well, geez, how, how can you do that? Well, I think Sean Payton, who was hired by this team because he knows offense and knows the quarterback position very, very well. You know, if you're not going to give him the freedom to say, I think Jarrett Stidham can play the position right now in this offense as well or better than Russell Wilson, and maybe he won't. I don't know. Maybe Peyton will be wrong, but I also think that they think that he's going to give them as good a chance or better a chance to win these last two games than Russell Wilson would. Going back
0: to the interaction that happened on that Saturday night a couple of weeks ago in the game against the Lions, Hard to read the lips, but I know from the demeanor, and I know because I've been on the wrong side of that demeanor a time or two in my life, that felt like Peyton saying to Russell, we've been over this 20 bleepity bleep times. I keep telling you this is what you need to do. How many times do I have to tell you? How many times do I have to tell you this is what you need to do? And so that just felt like the moment that it just kind of snapped, that he became sufficiently exasperated, that he was willing to, to give it to Russell Wilson. And, and and to his credit, Russ took it. Russ stood there and took it. I don't think he's wired to do anything like that publicly because it wouldn't look good. And, and, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to yell back at your coach. He did the right thing. And from Peyton's perspective, it just felt like that's the moment where the fuse blew. Now, what happened was, and Mark Maskey reported this the other night, and I did a little digging yesterday. After they beat the Chiefs week eight, and entered their bye week. Because on the surface, it looks weird. Why would you reward Russell Wilson for helping end a 16-game losing streak to the Chiefs by approaching him about his contract? But it was during the bye week. And that was the time to do it. And there were communications with Russell Wilson's agent, Mark Rogers, about doing something with his contract. Now, I can't get anyone to tell me just specifically what was requested, but I think it's as simple as we've got this $37 million injury guarantee for 2025. It becomes fully guaranteed on the fifth day of the 2024 league year. We need to do something with that trigger. We need to do something to delay when it goes to full guarantee. And my guess would be they wanted to delay it by a year to March of 25. So whatever was asked, the answer was no, we're not doing anything. So now here they are at a point where Peyton weighing who gives us a better chance to win. Russell Wilson refusing to give them the flexibility they'd want because if he's injured out of the final two weeks, can't pass a physical by March 18. They're stuck with the $37 million. And, Peter, when you throw on top of it, if Peyton truly believes that Jared Stidham is the guy necessary to give them a spark for the final two weeks, then he doesn't believe Russell Wilson is his franchise quarterback. Then why would you let the $37 million fully vest next year it's over the moment you decide my backup quarterback is better than my starter for the final two games that's when you decide my starter isn't a franchise quarterback because if he is a franchise quarterback he's never going to be benched he's never going to be the guy who takes the back seat to the guy who signed a two-year 10 million dollar deal so it's done bottom line is it's done it's over he'll be cut before march 18 he won't be traded he'll be cut and then he'll just go somewhere else and we'll
3: see we'll see who wants him And we'll see where he wants to go. And the bottom line in this for Denver right now, Mike, I agree with everything that you said. The bottom line for this right now is that the Denver Broncos, for everybody who predicts salary cap Armageddon for them, if they can play next year with Jarrett Stidham, and that's a big if, okay? But if they can play next year with Stidham, their quarterback position, even with... The lead balloon of Russell Wilson's huge number, whatever, 35, 37 million, whatever it is, the salary cap number for their quarterbacks on the roster next year will still be around 19 or 20 percent. So it's not as crippling as people make it out to be.
0: Yeah, the way it works out, 35 million
3: in change for 24,
0: 53 million in change for 25. If they cut him as a post-June 1 designation, if they don't, it's 89 million next year. So I'm assuming they'll take advantage of the right to split it between two years, and they'll have to go with cheaper options until they get him off the books. All right, let's take a break. When we return. A few more AFC matchups to talk about, including including a player this week providing bulletin board material, not somebody from the outside. More PFT live right after this.
1: It's a frustrating f- experience right now, and um, every single day we're going in here fixing it. I promise you guys, uh, and it's not just one guy. I, I'm. It's not just me playing like dog. Sh-. It's not just. Uh, us not being able to get the run game going. It's not just us not being on the same page passing wise. It's, it's everybody's in this thing together. Everybody at some point um, isn't being accountable, and we all just gotta bring it together, man. Everybody's just gotta do their job. Every single play, it's somebody not doing their job, and it's me. It's every it, one by one. It's everybody on the team.
0: Yeah, we know what we're will love. Everyone in the lead does. That's why they. That's why Casey Double is the way they do.
1: What stands
0: out about that second for the team? If I'm being honest, nothing. They just know how to play us. They know the leverages.
1: They know what splits we're in. They just know what we going to do certain movements. Um, they throw a little double-doubles at us and stop the two best players on the outside, and that's all they do. I mean, it's not really like they got a Jalen Ramsey on these squads. You know what I'm saying?
0: So. Oh, boy. Getting Spicy. On Sunday afternoon, Travis Kelsey trying to get his teammates to play a little bit better. Jamar Chase daring the Chiefs defense to play a little bit better, to cover a little bit better. A little bulletin board material there from Jamar Chase to make the game even more interesting. Let's get into a grab bag for Week 17. What's more likely? Jamar Chase backs up his words or the Chiefs offense puts it all together against their nemesis, Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo.
3: More likely, I think, is Jamar Chase backing up his words. You know, this has become uh, not something that is temporary with Kansas City. Mike. They've had eight weeks in a row where there's only been one time, I think the game in Vegas, where they put up 31. So really only that one game where you say, man, this offense is really clicking. And even though they put up, whatever, 27 at New England, it felt just like a struggle. I was in the stadium that day, and, and everything has been a struggle. To me, I think Jamar Chase, even with Jake Browning, has got a better chance of, let's say, 120-yard day than, the, uh, than Kansas City has in going out and putting up 30 points.
0: Yeah, I agree with you as well, and I think what the Chiefs need to do is just accept who they are, what they are, and color within those lines. Don't try to be what you've been in past years like they did on Monday against the Raiders. Do what you do well, stay away from the things you don't do well, and just try to grind out one win at a time. Fill in the blank for Patriots at the Bills. Bill Belichick and the New England defense will
3: what against Josh Allen and the Red Hot Buffalo offense? keep the game close, but not be good enough to win. And, you know, Mike, I'm going to go back a couple of weeks. I was in Andy Reed's office after the game against the, you know, the Patriots chiefs game. And, you know, we we're just talking, their notebook wasn't out or anything. And, and he just said, I went up to Steve Belichick after the game and just said to him, you guys are so good so unpredictable. I love what you're doing. Don't change it. You're really, really good on defense. And he said it's it's the same thing. Travis Kelsey said the same thing that day. So nobody is going to come in and have a free day <clears throat> against the New England Patriots. I don't think Buffalo will either. Buffalo obviously lost earlier in the year to, to New England. And so I think this is going to be a tougher game than maybe even the people think who have watched Buffalo really rise up the last few weeks buffalo has enough to win but it it might be i think it's definitely going to be a single digit game
0: which doesn't belong and why jaguars excuse me jaguars texans colts which doesn't belong and why they're each eight and seven they're each vying for the afc south crown
3: i kind of think that i will pick houston that doesn't belong in Houston because they get CJ Stroud back. And I think they're going to be able to play well in the last two weeks. And I think they're going to come out of that scrum. Now you might say, well, geez, look at Jacksonville. Jacksonville's got Carolina and then they end at Tennessee. Well, okay. So let's say they beat Carolina. I'm, I'm not, I don't think it's a gimme in any way, shape or form. That they go to Tennessee against Mike Vrabel in what might be uh, Derrick Henry's last game as as a Titan. I don't think that's going to be an easy game at all. So I think that Houston comes out of that division. All right, uh, and I agree with you. And
0: getting Stroud back is the key. That's the difference. Without him far different team with him they're a team that could win the division let's take a break show me something for week 17 when pft live continues right after this
3: boys flew by today it always flies by i say that every day It really did today though you know why it flies by on friday because i'm effing great Peter King is
0: effing great, and he's effing back after being off last Friday. It's Show Me Something Week 17. We got
3: to get to it, Peter. Give me your first one. Show Me Something Tua Tongavaloa. You saw what happened, Tua, in Santa Clara on Monday night. You saw this great defense of the Baltimore Ravens come out and really embarrass and rattle Brock Purdy and what had been an absolutely resplendent offense, you have some issues on your own offense. No Jalen Waddell. Who knows how healthy Tyreek Hill is? Show me something. Use that running game. Use Durham Smythe. Use Alec Ingold. Use these guys who America doesn't know all that well yet to beat the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday Show me something, to Tonga-Valoa. Show us a different aspect of your offense.
0: Show me something, Brock Purdy. You mentioned to me he had the four turnovers on Monday night. They go to Washington, taking on a team that Kyle Shanahan used to work for. There's some lingering hard feelings there. 49ers trying to nail down the number one seed, trying to get back on track. Brock Purdy, MVP case gone, but still. Reestablish yourself, reestablish the offense. Show
3: me something, Brock Purdy, on Sunday. Show me something, the entirety of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're now hearing a bunch of dissatisfied words come out of the Eagles. And obviously, they haven't played well recently. They had to squeak by the New York Giants and the great Tommy DeVito. And and so you got to show me something. Even though it's an easy foe, relatively speaking, the Arizona Cardinals come home re-establish home field dominance against Arizona, and show you will be a force to be reckoned with in the playoffs. Show me something, Philadelphia Eagles. Show me something, Tyrod
0: Taylor. You mentioned Tommy DeVito. Taylor back in the driver's seat. DeVito Magic over taylor an opportunity to continue to extend his career and get some attention elsewhere for next year if he's so inclined to play somewhere else and if someone else wants him take out the rams and people are going to be paying attention to tyrod taylor again let's go ahead and take a break we'll wrap up friday edition of pft live right after this all right
3: here we go show me something draft round three starts now peter you're up Show me something, Mason Rudolph. We all know that the Pittsburgh Steelers have got to win out to have a decent shot at the playoffs and then maybe not even that much. Mason Rudolph made their season come alive against the Bengals. Do it again in Seattle. Show me something, Mason Rudolph. Show me something, Gardner
0: Minshew. Last week it did not go well for the Colts in Atlanta. They lost 29-10. to 10. Minshew trying to will the Colts to a playoff appearance. They're knotted up with the Jaguars. And the Texans at 8-7. Minshew needs to get it done if the Colts are going to get to the postseason. We are done. Enjoy the games this weekend. Happy New Year. See you next time.
1: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble.